Big Fluff. What is it? It's us. You ought to pat yourself on the back, Jake. Everything worked out just like you said it would. No, 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 no. I gotta give credit where credit's due. The rest of them I knew would respond to a private party invitation. But you, I wasn't sure about. Nah. I had to lure you out. And I found you, Jake, on the internet, in the Hell World chat room. You did it all for me. Oh, the things a young man will tell a prospective lover. The myth of Le Marchand, the puzzle box, Hell World, how the game itself would be the perfect weapon to do everybody in. I take my hat off to you. I couldn't have done it without you, Jake. You couldn't have done this, this. Oh, yes, I could. Call it poetic justice for the people that buried my son. Sick son of a bitch! <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are coming to the end of October, which means that we are coming to the end of our look at movies related to hell or have hell in the title. And we would be remiss to do a month like this and not look at a Hellraiser movie. So we chose Hellraiser Hell World. Yeah, it has hell in it twice. Yeah. Three times if you're illiterate. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, and this is uh, came out in 2005. It was a direct-to-video release, uh, but it is part of the Hellraiser franchise, and it has uh, a reasonably interesting backstory that for some reason they had to make it simultaneously with another Hellraiser movie, and this is what happened. Yep. Good night, everyone. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I also saw, uh, take this for whatever it is, but this is apparently the last time that Doug Bradley ever played Pinhead. Yeah, it's a swan song for classic Pinhead Doug Bradley. And I think if you've watched this series from the first movie and you've watched every sequel, this is always where it was headed, I think. Oh, it was, it was definitely <laughs> this... Uh, Deep meditation on uh, the borderline between pain and pleasure and body horror and, uh, you know, Faustian bargains was always heading to a scared teenager movie. Right. Well, also, I think the the line between pain and pleasure and why hurting ourselves can feel so good was always leading to the Internet. I think that is true. Oh, that that is a given. Yes. One hundred percent. That is that is. That is in the bylaws of the internet. That's how I feel every time I go to Twitter. Is just yeah, yeah. Anytime you fire up any social media app. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, this this is a Hellraiser. By the way, follow us on Truth Social at no, Silver Linings. No, nope. oh, don't nope. do that. We're not there. Nope. <laughs> no, I what I've been doing is I just take my thoughts uh, at, that are two hundred eighty characters or less. And I write them down on a piece of paper and then I put it in a little bottle and I throw it into the ocean. 
So totally unrelated, but uh, I've been finding these bottles <laughs> that have these little messages in them and say things like, you know, if you really think about it, Attack of the Clones has some good moments. I, that one's not me. I definitely <laughs> didn't write that. <laughs> yes, I don't know who this person is. Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. It's George Lucas. He also has been <laughs> taking my approach. He's just trying to get the word out about now I'm just picturing you and George just on the same beach, like, oh hey, just throwing the throwing the bottom another bottle out to sea. And oh, that's that's what Twitter should be. It would be better. What if they self destructed? What if it was like Mission Impossible, and like you wrote a, a tweet, and then it just at some point it just. I, I think I'm describing uh, Snapchat, but for words. All right. So so here's our new social media app. Uh, it's called Bottler. <laughs> and uh, you send messages in a bottle. Here's the thing, though. You don't know who's going to see it. Yeah. It's going to go out into the world. It's going to go to someone. And you don't know who that person is. Yeah. And we're all you have a little digital avatar that's just sitting on an island, leaning up against uh, a palm tree and your little avatar throws a bottle out. And then every time you throw one out, a different bottle washes up onto your beach and your little character opens it and then reads. reads But yeah, you never know who wrote it. Right. And you just see these opinions and it could be something interesting. It could be something horrific, could be. A link to buy uh, questionable stay awake pills. Who knows? Yeah, it it might have to do with your erections and how you know potent they are. Right. That's a lot of what George Lucas is writing. Yeah, I know how <laughs> potent his erections are. <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about Hellraiser, Hellworld, <laughs> with the laser focus you've come to expect from Silver Linings playback in the month of October. You know. I- I was thinking, and I was saying this a little bit to you ahead of time, and I actually, I have something, a a little surprise for later about this movie that we will get to, but I was thinking about this, and I've been thinking about this with horror sequels in general, because I recently watched the new, like, Halloween stuff of, it is interesting when you get into the really later (laughs) sequels, because it's not always clear, like, what... You know, you can't just make the same movie and over and over and again. But like you and I were saying that because you had said that you had never seen the original Hellraiser before. That's correct. We recorded this and it's like, I really like that movie. And you said you liked it too, where it's like, it's a good movie and it has the Cenobite characters, which are really fascinating and you want to see more of them. But at the same time, it's like, if you watch that movie, it's not clear how you build out on that world like what a sequel to that should be yeah other other than unless you just do more people getting in contact with the puzzle box which even though i guess i haven't seen the second one either i mean or yet i should say uh the second one is kind of a direct sequel where like a lot of the characters show up again um christy who shows up in a few of the other movies too um you know keeps showing up again but a lot of the other sequels are just people coming into contact with the puzzle box. Right. Which that part makes sense. But then it's sort of. Yeah, I think the elements that make something a Hellraiser movie are there's a puzzle box. If you open it, it makes these Cenobites show up and they 
give you, depending on your perspective, something that is either pleasure or pain or both and uh, rip your body apart and send you to hell. Yeah, essentially. Um, and I think it's weird that like this, I, I didn't all I knew about the Hell, Hellraiser franchise was that there was a puzzle box that summoned the Cenobites, literally just what you said. Uh, but really, like the Cenobites are like really kind of a deus ex machina in the first movie. Right. Well, and that, they're like, they're sort of not interested in what's happening. <laughs> yeah. No, that they're sort of tangential to the plot. Um, also, that just hit me. They literally are a deus ex machina. They are literally are like godlike God creatures that are in a machine, like a puzzle box. Yeah, yeah. Like, very literally yeah. in this case. Yeah. Um, and it was just interesting because like because even without the Cenobites, I think that the story of the first Hellraiser movie is interesting enough that it could have probably existed probably as a one off horror movie. But it's definitely like the character design. And I think uh, Doug Bradley's charisma as uh, Pinhead that you know keep kept this franchise going or kept them willing to try to like keep building it out yes yeah and then but they got I think... to do a scared teenager movie <laughs> uh yeah which i think this is maybe a good time so i have the like i said i i have something that i think is going to give a, a new perspective on this movie that it, it was interesting to me to learn this and i think if everyone <laughs> understands this about the movie that it'll help us to discuss the movie so uh joel swisson is uh he has a story by credit for this he's a writer who i actually interviewed last year for hobo trash can uh, about a new film that he did but he's one of these guys like that just works and he he worked all the time and like he he's done a lot of these types of sequels to these franchise films and uh and he he's a producer that like he's the producer that actually produces he doesn't just get a producer credit in these movies he's the one that's like budgeting and location scout like doing all those things and um is like one of those people that probably deserves the hardest working man in show business titles Yes. Yeah. Super hardworking guy, long career in the business, super talented uh, and a really fun guy to talk to. Has a lot of great stories. But I reached out to him uh, telling him that we were doing this. And uh, I had asked if he was interested in coming on the show, but he unsurprisingly is very busy because uh, he works all the time being a producer and a writer and director and such. But he did send me this, which he said, uh, I really didn't have much at all to do with Hellworld. The film was based on a treatment I'd written for a completely different film. I think it was called Dark Can't Breathe or something like that. The entire story, a mystery thriller, was imagined by a uh, was imagined by a poor sap who got himself drugged and buried alive with an oxygen canister and a cell phone. All the events in the story were fed to him through the phone in an act of psychological revenge. When he and the audience find out the real truth, it's too late. I think it ended with the cell going dead and just the fading hiss of the oxygen canister. Super upbeat. And then he goes on to basically explain that uh, Bob Weinstein, uh, in his infinite wisdom, decided to uh, make it a Hellraiser movie. And at that point, he uh, passed the project along to a different screenwriter and he wasn't really involved in it. But essentially, this is... A movie that was a completely written treatment for, as you're describing, this sort of like, you know, teenage mystery, buried alive thriller that then 
you know, they came along and were like, well, this could be a Hellraiser. And we, we could pinhead this. Yeah. And I think when you know that and you go back and look at it, you're like, well, that's how you get this movie. No, 100 percent. Yeah. And I mean. Like, even without hearing that bit from uh, Joel Soisson, uh like this movie feels cobbled together. Yes. That it like. It, it's real obvious that this is that that the Hellraiser stuff is kind of shoehorned into this. Well, and it's not like forced. And it, it, they it, I think it does kind of work. But like it felt like this was a movie that they Hellraisered instead of a Hellraiser idea that they made into a movie. Well, and I think part of the problem is so if we try to track it now, you know, and again, so if you look at it where it's interesting that the end is essentially uh, true to that original idea. You can see that that survived of like the characters are buried alive and they're imagining everything. But like so in this world, though, based on what we're presented with, there are these characters that are playing on this online game that is. So essentially, there's a, a online game space, virtual reality, whatever it is. It like I guess maybe it's like uh, um, what's the not Dungeons and Dragons? What's the big uh, World of Warcraft? It's like yeah, uh, it's like a World of Warcraft, but set in the Hellraiser universe, an MMORPG. Yes, and so that Hellraiser exists. World. And apparently, whoever made that game is correct about all of the mythology of Hellraiser and that is contained in the game. And so these characters are playing the game and they know all the mythology because it is accurate in that video game. And then they are having hallucinations based on the game where they are believing that they're in a house and they're being tortured by the Cenobites and by uh, this dad character. But also in this world, it's real. There is hell. <laughs> so it's like, I think there's too many layers of things. There's an online layer. There's reality. And then there's the dream, you know, like that they're having the right. hallucination. Because these five scared teenagers are all buried in the yard of a house where there is a crazy Hellraiser themed party. And they're dreaming that they're attendees at the crazy Hellraiser themed party. Right. But the party is happening but isn't i don't think the cinnabites are involved in the party no it's just, I, think the, I think the cinnabites are just in their hallucinations but uh lance henriksen who is the the puppet master of all of this uh finds the actual puzzle box and awakens actual cinnabites right and i think that's a big part of the problem is there's too much like when you because i like the twist ending to be honest like i think it's a good idea i'd be curious about that original script like it, it's a really fun idea of you think you've been tortured but actually you've been buried alive this whole time and everything that you're imagining is bad but also your reality is uh also worse. Bad. is it yeah it's a good horror idea but then yeah i i think it it just gets kind of hard to parse through when you get the reveal, what was real and what wasn't? Because again, so the party was real, which feels weird to me that that and it, it doubles down on that because he even says I went to the party and I you know had fun while you guys were suffering. So there is a party and they did experience it at first. But then 
Also, he buried all those characters alive by himself, which feels like it would be very physically taxing. Just throwing that out yeah, there. Like, dig, like I'm, maybe he had the holes dug in advance and he was just filling the holes, but that's still... Filling a hole is not easy work. Yeah. And I mean, for how many of them are there? There's like five or six, like... Five. There's five. So like... Yeah. Yeah. So he pre-dug five holes or whatever, but then you got to... You know, like drug them all, drag them out there. Like he could. They're all full size, full grown adults. Yeah, he could have used some help. Is all I'm saying. Like I think if uh, Pinhead and the other Cenobites hadn't gotten him in the end, I think he would have had a heart attack. Because I mean, he was also a smoker, and you know, so and a drinker, and a drinker. So it's amazing that he had the lung capacity. Let's be honest here to uh, bury all of those five people. Yes. Yeah, and it, so yeah, that's that's the most implausible thing about this whole movie is that this uh, uh, late middle aged heavy smoker would have the lung capacity to bury five young people. Yes. Other than that, flawless logic throughout. Yeah, no, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and um, and this is just like. From what I've heard from talking to people that are fans of the Hellraiser franchise, like everything about this movie is a huge departure from sort of what makes and from watching the first movie, that seems accurate. Yeah. And again, I haven't seen every sequel or anything either. So like I, I'm pretty much in your camp. I've seen the first one. I've seen this one. Uh, but yeah, it, it just feels like. It's. I don't know. Like, I guess it gets into like that philosophical question of, I mean, we're talking about it because it's a Hellraiser movie, but if they had just made the original, you know, pitch that Joel was on throughout and we made that movie, you know, I do think there's something there. I think that could have been a good idea. Yeah, I think I think it would. It it's a fun story. Probably works better cinematically than to read it would be my guess. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, and it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, cause I think it's an interesting spin on whatever that Ryan Reynolds movie buried, I think is what it's called. Right. Which I think this would have predated that too. Like, cause or, it was, yeah. or no, sorry. Deadpool two is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> You're thinking of Adam or the Adam project or whatever that. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. I'm thinking of, uh, two guys, a girl in a pizza place. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it's similar to that, but it's like. You think these horrible things are happening to people and then to find out that it's actually much worse in a way that's unexpected. That's like an interesting that's enough of a second layer for the for a horror movie, I think, to work. Yes. Whereas uh, the adding in the Cenobites, adding in, but also Cenobites are real, but also they're not like it's. And then like maybe Lance Henriksen's son isn't dead because maybe he's the one that called the cops to save them. And maybe ghosts are real. And it's there's a lot of like the movie doesn't isn't doesn't feel 100 percent sure what's real and what's not. Well, and you can see that, too, in. So I, this is skipping ahead, obviously, because this is the, the very end. But yeah, with uh, his character, as you mentioned, the very at the very end so the the two surviving characters of uh, Jake and Chelsea, uh, they get out in time. And they they're in a car and they're driving together. But we're we're getting. Meanwhile, uh, the dad, we don't I guess is he's just I was Lance uh, Henriksen is just credited as host. I don't think he has a name, but whatever his character is, uh, he is in this like very uh, 
crappy motel room. He's drinking, he's smoking, and he finds the actual puzzle box, opens it. The Cenobites show up. They slice him into three parts and he dies as satisfying. But then we cut back to Chelsea and Jake in the car and they like he appears behind them possibly as a ghost or a hallucination or something and reaches out at them and then they almost wreck the car and then they look back and he's not there and then we get the cops finding the motel room with all the blood and they find the puzzle box which does feel like the right ending of that's how the first one ends someone new should be like getting the puzzle box to be like this will continue so i get that but i didn't really get the just to the what's real and what isn't and what are we exactly doing why we had the fake jump scare ghost hallucination with the two of them you could have just done him getting sliced into thirds and the cops finding the puzzle box i think we were done with them once they got out of the graves yeah because and the kids weren't that interesting to begin with yeah i by the way i i don't know that i have too much specifics to like malign about this before we pivot but they said the names jake and chelsea way too many times especially at the end and like once i started noticing it it like it's a good if you want to play a drinking game with this uh movie every time someone says jake or chelsea if you take a shot uh you won't die get yeah you won't get to the end uh but maybe that will be pain and pleasure for you all at once maybe you'll find the the boundary between pain and pleasure and (laughs) who knows um you know uh, but yeah, is there anything else you want to specifically talk about or do we want to? No, because this movie is just a, it kind of ends up being just like I've been saying a bunch, a run of the mill scare teenager movie with a Hellraiser skin on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like the thing that doesn't work about it is very obvious and can be summed up by the email I got from Joel Hassan, which is like they took a different movie and they tried to make it a Hellraiser movie. And that wasn't very successful in making a Hellraiser movie that fans of the series wanted to see. And I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. That is all accurate. So, yeah, let's let's talk about some of the silver linings of this. Um, Lance Henriksen rules, man. Always a fan. He is one of the coolest people on the planet, and he is value added to everything. And you like you get that from him. Of it's funny because like last week when we were talking about Bingo Hell, of like I think he would have been great casting for the guy oh, running the Bingo Hall as Mister Big Lance Henriksen. Yeah, because he has yeah. that immediate gravitas of like when this movie starts and they get to the party and it's him you don't know the deal you don't know they're buried alive you don't know he's the father of their dead friend but you know this guy is bad right like he's i i i'm blanking because we i i we made this comparison before but he's like the type of actor that he can be like the good guy that's actually bad or the bad guy that's actually good like he can play both roles to very good effect. We're like, oh, this guy, something's fishy about him, but I bet he's a good guy. Or it's like, no, this guy is definitely evil, even though he's trying to be our friend and everything. Like he, he just has a presence and has a, a I mean, gravitas is a great word for it, but he just the 
he's he has a magnetic screen presence and you're always interested in what he's doing uh and he and it, he does it in just very subtly and he's yeah he's just super value added he is far and away and one could maybe argue solely the silver lining of this movie oh no there's other silver i have other silver no there lining. are yeah. but there are for sure but um but he is the brightest one for sure yes and it's even I think of one of the smartest things that they do. I mean, it's just the way the script works. But by casting him, when you get to and <laughs> to be clear, we played the beginning of it at the beginning of the show. But the actual explanation, the exposition of like what's happening goes on uh, for several minutes. Uh, one might argue a bit too long because then it just starts like recapping things that we just saw. But anyway, I think the smartest thing that it did was by having him do the explanation you get him doing the explanation so like it's a lot of dialogue to explain uh, a pretty intricate concept all things considered and i think having him do it is a really good choice because he sold it even if there's some lingering questions about how it all worked he sold explaining it in a way that you're like oh okay i know what's happening now yeah, no, I, th I think he was great. Um, one thing I think this might be a little bit in the liminal space, but I kind of liked, and I think a better movie would have done a better job of this, and that's why I sort of put it somewhere between actual maligning and, and silver lining. Is uh, just the fact that like when the three teenagers that died, um, it was essentially a version of their own fear killing them. Uh, but it very much matched with the hallucinations that killed them. Like, I thought that was kind of a neat thing. Like the one girl, uh, she hallucinates that she's in like this torture chair and these blades cut her throat. But she actually like was the hallucination was so vivid that she actually like tore her throat out. Um, the one had an asthma, severe asthma attack, and that led to his passing. And like that was what was happening in his uh, in his hallucination. And then um, and then Henry Cavill. He died of fear. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, and I don't know. I just loved see every time you saw babyface Henry Cavill's face on the screen. It was just like a little baby Superman. It's a super baby. Well, let's talk about and him just, because Henry Cavill is a silver lining for me of oh, this yeah, movie. Agreed. First of all, yeah, to your point, he looks like so 11. young it was weird because i i knew that he was in this and in case i forgot that you also you know his name is in the credits and everything but when they first show him i wasn't except for that jawline you see the jawline and you're like that's henry cavill but it didn't immediately register to my brain because he's so young and he doesn't quite have that like he, he hasn't become superman slash the witcher slash uh steve mission impossible that like <laughs> Yes, uh, I don't remember Johnny his Mustache. Name. It was Johnny, Johnny mustache. mustache. Yeah, it was Johnny Mustache in Mission in the Mission Impossible movies. Um, yeah, but like, I'm a huge Henry Cavill fan. I think he's a great actor. Uh, frequent appear on the pod because we did Zack Snyder month. Um, and man, I wish he got to do a good Superman movie. <laughs> That'd be nice, right? Maybe. I don't know. That Black Adam movie came out and it seems like The Rock really wants that character to meet Superman. So maybe, maybe he'll get another shot. So we can hope. Fingers crossed, you know. 
Uh, but yeah, no, Henry Cavill is like you can tell watching this that he's destined for bigger and better things. Yes, and I, it's weird to center on this scene because like, the scene. I mean, he's such a dirtbag in it, but also, I mean, Henry Cavill is a good Superman, but also a really good dirtbag. If you've seen him play Johnny Mustache in Mission Impossible, but the scene where he is on the cell phone. And he is getting a blowjob from a woman. Like, first of all, it's it's a very unnerving shot because they have these like white masks that they're all wearing and hers is on the top of her head. So it's already it has a face and the face is like in the wrong spot. And so that's already kind of an odd detail that stands out. But it is a weird neutral mask thing happening. Yeah. But then he's on the phone and he's kind of flirting with I think is it Chelsea or it's it might be the other girl, but he's No, it's Chelsea because that's his girlfriend. Right. So he's talking to her and he's getting a blowjob from this woman and he's just being such a scumbag, but in a way that you're like, like exactly what you said, where you're like, this guy's a star. Like you're watching it and you're like, this is reprehensible what he's doing but he's so charismatic to watch like do this that you understand that this guy i honestly i think they went a little too easy on him i think he was such a good scumbag that i think his death should have gone harder you know yeah because i think it's just chatterbox ends up just sort of disemboweling him and it's because he gets oh he gets the hook and then it's it's not it's the least like poetic justice death of the of any of them. Well, I think that's what it is, is it's like it feels like it should somehow be related to the fact that he is kind of a lech, you know, that he should be. I mean, it is like he's fooling around with a girl and she puts him into the room. But I'm like, there could have been I feel like there was a more A to A torture. Where he, Yeah, I think there there's there is some sort of something that could have been there. But yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, he's just really good. To the point that, like, I'm kind of amazed that you don't hear people talk about uh, Henry Cavill in this movie the way they talk about, like, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2000 or whatever, or uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Reborn or whatever the remake is called, or, uh, like, Johnny Depp in Friday the or Nightmare on Elm Street and Kevin Bacon in Friday, in Friday the 13th. Right, that it isn't well known and maybe because it's just such a late entry into the hellraiser and it was a direct to you know video sequel that it, it never got enough attention but yeah it's it's a very interesting but it, it, it deserves to be in that before they were stars moment of like this guy went on to be superman and johnny mustache and the witcher and yeah yeah like this should be right at, this should like that like this this is that type of movie that like everyone should kind of like, oh, that's right. He did that. That was one of the first things he did. Uh, well, we haven't talked about sucks, but we haven't talked about one of the other stars of this movie, which is the cell phone product placement. And I mean, yeah. like they big up to Nokia for getting their their product out there. Yeah, I, I saw this. I I want to believe that this is true, but this is on the IMDb trivia that it said it has a record setting 92 instances of product placement of the Nokia 3210. So uh, for a single product, I think that is that seems very accurate because um, that was a weird like that was the the premise of the weird party that some people participated in and others didn't, which was sort of a weird. Was that you'd buy these like neutral masks that sort of look like the Jabberwockies, like remember that like mid aughts dance crew 
neutral mask and it would have a number on it. And if you dial the number, you talk to the person in the mask. And then you get a blowjob from them. Yeah, I, it does. I will say that. So maybe you can explain because I know you go to a lot of these parties, Andy. So almost almost weekly. Yeah. Yeah. So just maybe you can fill me in and fill the audience in if they're not sure, because the, the thing that didn't track for me is like the masks, like you said, they're very neutral. So they if someone wears them, you can't really see their face. So it has a number on it, but how are you picking someone when essentially the costume that they're putting on makes everyone look the same? Titties. Oh, okay. You know what? Asked and answered. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay. Well, we did it. Yeah. Good night, everybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, we're going to make a super cut of all of our good night, everybody's. <laughs> We're going to have all so the listeners, shows. If you're out there, uh, that'll be one of our bonus contents on our soon to be forthcoming Patreon as you can listen to a super cut of all of our good night, everybody's. It's just we should release an entire episode where we just say good night, everybody over and over again. And then it ends like, yeah, it's like 50 ends. Yeah, just it'll be like uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, just 50 endings mm -hmm. or the end of this to some degree. Yeah. Yeah, this movie this movie ends a few times as well. Um, let's talk about the Cenobites because I feel like they bear discussion. I mean, yeah, you can't tell me that Pinhead isn't gonna be a silver lining of every time. Like he he has that, and you kind of touched on that in, from the first movie of like that makeup is so good that that makeup like makes you intrigued by the character and it i don't know if any of the the sequels like get into it or anything but it's like it's so iconic that you can even see it and i haven't seen the new like hulu remake yet but like they obviously just have a new pinhead character because you gotta have a pinhead character because it's a person with nails all over their face like what a great movie monster like pinhead even if you like as someone like myself until a few days ago had never seen a Hellraiser movie, but I knew Pinhead was Hellraiser. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's the one he's we know him by name. You can recognize him. I feel like even if you have never seen a movie, you could probably draw a Pinhead. You just draw a, a round head and you draw a bunch of lines coming off it. We all could close our eyes and draw a Pinhead like it's an iconic look for a character. And I mean, it's like. Even though the others are more, you know, the other sort of classic slasher monsters are really more slasher characters. Like Pinhead is in that pantheon with Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy. Like he's just as much a part of that as they are. And he's, you know, an icon of those like eight, late 80s, like 80s and 90s slasher horror movies. Even though the Hellraiser movies are not slasher movies, this is the closest to a slasher movie of any of the Hellraisers. But, and Doug Bradley, like, I don't know much else that he has done, but like he embodies that character and is just it's he's good. Yeah. Well, it's again, the makeup is iconic, but also him showing up in sort of the detached way that he because the makeup sells the look of the character. But what I think he adds to it with his performance is this sort of godlike you know demon-like detachment from our reality that sells you on the idea that these characters 
do not care what happens to you, <laughs> that our morality is not their morality and that like they are here to rip people apart. Yeah, and it it brings them neither pleasure nor pain. It's just their their being. And I think yeah. that's like they're they are like he is one of the most alien characters, I think, in movies, just because his worldview, for lack of a better term, is so foreign to the world that we live in. But at the same time, like it's like also just a degree off where like oh, I could kind of see how someone could get that messed up. Like, it's, it's just it, it's a weird example. Like, it it's everything. Oh. And he's just a great horror movie villain. Look, I know this was his last role, his last time playing Pinhead. But hopefully if he's listening to this and he's available, I think I have a pitch for a new movie that I think you just made me realize that we should uh, write together, which is let's do the workplace comedy version of the Cinnabite. So it's called the Cinnabites, obviously, or, you know, and it's basically, it's, it's like the office where superstore. Yeah. Or like superstore. And we're following pinhead and the other, uh, Cinnabites, which I, I looked up to according to the, this movie has melted face Cinnabite and bound Cinnabite. So they don't have cool names like pinhead, but uh, well, the first one has Chatterbox and uh, Butterball, which are both man. Butterball is uh, probably my favorite of all of it's the. Just, it's, it's the fat one, but also he's cool. Uh, Butterball yeah. is great. Like Butterball is cool. He's got the dark glasses. He's a cool dude. Yeah, that that guy. He likes to party, and I think this, so. Butterball's in it. We have to get Butterball, and we have to get yeah. And Chatterbox, like again, he's named Chatterbox, so he's like the guy in the office that. When they're in the break room that he's like talking about his weekend and he has these long, boring stories because we only ever see his teeth chatter and he doesn't talk in the movies. But when he's a Cenobite in like their dimension or hell or world or wherever, we got to figure that out when we write it. But like when he's there, he talks like they understand what he's saying. And so we as the audience could hear it. But he's really boring. But and then I think there's potential that like butterball kind of gets off that's the pain pleasure thing of like he likes boring stories so he's like super into no tell me about so you waxed your car to i want to hear about it like he's super into it so it's a little bit like what we do in the shadows with the energy vampire i don't know what you're talking about this is an original idea that i just made up (laughs) (laughs) completely original uh brand new um yeah no i i'm i'm here for it but also it's not it's different from that it's slightly th- different because the guy telling the boring story is feeding off the other person's discomfort. But this is like right. the reverse. So essentially, and I'm pitching this crossover as well. When we do a crossover with what we do in the shadows, the ultimate showdown will be the energy vampire vo- versus Butterball because Butterball is, you know, enjoys the drain. So he's not draining him because it's actually energizing him. So right. it's a, the immovable force and the irresistible object meeting when the yeah. two of them are face to face. Um, I I have a I have a sort of alternate take on this pitch is that Chatterbox, um, all he does in the show is like just do the chattering, but it's like a Chewbacca situation where everybody understands him and just gets bored out of their minds by the stories he's telling, and like yeah, there they give the context clues, and he's just the whole time like. I love it. Yeah, it's the yeah, perfect. They he is talking, but we don't get to know what he's saying. But it's very clear. 
but it's like but cousin yeah. it or chewbacca um, or whatever yeah yeah and to to be clear on the pitch so the pitch is that it we it's their downtime and essentially they're just hanging out you know they're in the break room a lot they're they're having meetings they have like endless hr meetings because it's hell or whatever so it's just you know like all kinds of things that they do not to make it a better workplace but to sort of torture everyone and then also every once in a while someone opens a puzzle box and then it's almost like a firehouse like they're there killing time until a puzzle box gets open and then they have to go like disembowel that guy and they love that 10 minutes of their day but the rest is paperwork yeah it's just mind numbing i'm i'm here for it yeah doug bradley if you're listening we know that you are yes holler at your boys yeah, just we we can get that going. We can bring you back to the iconic role of, uh, as Pinhead, as in uh, what I think you've always been waiting to come back for, which is Pinhead as the Michael Scott of this office. Yeah, and I, I mean, Lance Henderson, if you're down to do a cameo, we'll have you mm-hmm. for sure. And it'll it'll be it'll be a great thing. Um, yeah, watch other Hellraiser movies and and maybe don't watch this one. Also, but I got one more silver lining. That roundhouse kick was pretty sweet. Yeah. When she like roundhouse kicked him off the banister and he fell two stories and then no sold it. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Loved it. But I guess that's... that didn't happen, so that's why he no sold it. But still, it was a good roundhouse kick. Yeah, solid roundhouse kick. Um I liked the torture chair too. I thought that was that was I think of, of the of the scare teenager deaths. I think that was my favorite one. That one was good. And like you said, I think both the first time we see it, it's really satisfying because it's like this, you know, these blades that are slitting her throat. And then when you find out that she died by scratching her own throat out, it's also very satisfying. I think that's the thing. Like Cavill should have like somehow jammed his own hands through his stomach or something because he yeah he got so how did he die of fear when he got like a meat hook in his stomach like his thing didn't match his thing you know but hers hers was really good the scratching the throat also she was great when she was a ghost tormenting them with the bloody throat as well yeah she as her like own Cenobite version of herself yeah yeah she was doing good work I, I thought that I thought she gave, I guess, the fourth most interesting performance that I thought like that she would have gone on to have done more things. But it seems like that actress has not. Because obviously Lance Henriksen is an icon of sort of a quirky movies. Uh, Doug Bradley Pinhead, you know, he is the icon. And Henry Cavill, obviously playing the role he was born to play Johnny Mustache. Uh, but I thought that that actress uh, would have been had a, a more expansive career. And it seems like she really didn't because I thought she was really interesting and fun. Maybe she accomplished everything she set out to do in this movie. And as a result, didn't want to run for a second movie. It's <laughs> probably what it was. But look, we did it. We definitely did it. Yeah, no, we did it. No, this this movie, there there are legitimate things to enjoy about this. But uh, I can't in good conscience say if you're only going to watch one Hellraiser movie, watch this one, because that's not a good advice. Well, if you're only going to watch one, though, and you watch this one, you don't know that it doesn't fit with all the other ones. So maybe it works. Ooh, sold. Watch this movie. Jesus wept. 
Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why there's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.